Jeopardy theme. Da, na, 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 na. Look into that. We can play it right now. All right. Hey, we're flexible here, right? We're like Gumby. I just dated myself with that. All right. Even our pastor's still talking. Grady, you know, we need to start a service. You know, the service you're leading. I'm just kidding. All right, it's great to see everybody. Welcome. Y'all excited to be together as family this morning? Woo! We, uh, I'm a little excited. We, the elders had a retreat up at Lake Jordan yesterday and Friday, and it's just fun coming back from those, us praying for you, worshiping together, talking about the life of our church, casting vision, strategy, just being in the presence of God. So the elders were all on a high. We're all excited to be back with you and to uh, be able to worship together. Just a few announcements before we have Mike Presley come up and share some things about our greeting ministry. Um, Grady's been mentioning this app over the last few weeks, the Dwell app. Um, there's been an issue last time we had uh, the link up in all caps last week. Some folks were having some problems getting on it, so we just want to emphasize to use lowercase on everything. Um, the app has been just very useful for uh, listening to the word and a lot of different Bible reading plans. So um, it's free to you. So we just ask if you want to get on there. That's the correct link and the letters and everything. So men, we got the men in the house. This Wednesday, we're going to have axe throwing time in a dinner fellowship downtown this Wednesday. Uh, July 20th at 6 o'clock. Uh, you need to register just to have an idea of who's coming. And registration's online at gatewaybaptist.com under the news and event tab. If you look there, space is limited. So please look into that. Um, we're going to not have any youth uh, event this Wednesday night. So some of the teenage boys, the older guys, if they want to come with their fathers to participate in that. So uh, we just ask you to get online to check that out. Um, Thursday a week, July 28th. Um, we're excited. Um, Alicia Young was a part of uh, initiating this. We're going to have a, a nature documentary for all ages Thursday, July 28th at 6.30 here in the sanctuary, a movie night. Popcorn and snacks, activity sheets for the kids. It's free, um, but we would like you to register online, again, just to have an idea for food and things like that for families that want to come. So movie night, July 28th, Thursday night at 6.30 here in the sanctuary. Uh, school is coming up. Kids, y'all excited? School soon? Yeah, I didn't think so. Okay. But here we go. One, one thing we do each year, which we're so excited with Seth and Megan Rodebeck's leadership with Capital Heights Ministry through Hopes. Um, every first week of August, we love to serve that community at their school, at Capital Heights Middle School. So Wednesday night, August 3rd at 5.30, we've been doing it for the past few years. We're going to have a cleanup time at Capital Heights. And so uh, details will be coming more on the calendar and on the website. So we just ask for a lot of you. Uh, the teenagers will be there that night for our youth thing. We're actually going to go there and help clean up. There will be uh, God's food. The Lord's food will be there, Chick-fil-A. And... Um, Grady's going to make sure of that and get it ordered. So, you know that we'll be at the marriage feast of the Lamb. I just want to let you all know that. When we all lift our golden domes, Chick-fil-A will be sitting right there. So, at least that's Grady's theological position. Um, so, serve night. Very excited about that. We come together. We pray on campus, pick up trash, lay out pine straw, all that kind of stuff. It's a wonderful, fun time. And I'm out of breath. Last announcement. 
Precepts Workshop. Ladies, this is a wonderful time. It's the first time we're hosting this here at Gateway. Um, for all the ladies to learn how to better study the Bible, there's going to be a practicing a workshop for teaching and practicing the inductive Bible study methods on Saturday, August 13th from 9 a.m. to noon. It will be here. It's also free. And we would ask you to please register online as well. So a lot going on in the life of our body. We're very excited about that. And we're going to have Mike come up and share briefly about our greeting ministry. Good morning. All right. So uh, just really briefly wanted to give you guys an update on our greeting ministry. I know I uh, shared a little bit about a month ago um, that we were trying to expand it. So we're making really good progress in that. And uh just wanted to uh, give you guys one more opportunity if you uh, feel called to serve in the greeting ministry. Uh, we are having a, a meeting next Sunday afternoon, the 24th at 4.30. Uh, and Kevin and Amy Lynn are back there. Can you guys just stand up for a second? So I want to um, just introduce them and uh, ask you guys to give them a round of applause. <laughs> because they have uh, very generously... Uh, uh, agreed to uh, lead up the ministry, um, and so uh, we are uh, have a great team already, and we've got several people who have signed up, but just wanted to give you guys one more chance. Uh, this would be a great, great opportunity to uh, to join our team. Um, we're going to expand. We've, ha we've always had the greeters at the doors, but we're going to add a, a couple of greeters in here. Um, as you see, it's getting pretty full, uh, and this time of year is great because we see a lot of new families, so we want to make them feel welcome here. Um, so if you are interested and have not already expressed interest to us, uh, you can see me or you can see Kevin and Amy Lynn after the service, or we'll have a, a blog up uh, later in the earlier, I guess, this coming week, uh, and that'll have the information there. So uh, again, uh, just appreciate it, and uh, thank you very much. All right, saints, let's stand and prepare our hearts to worship the Lord this morning through song. I just want to read over a psalm to us as we prepare our hearts. As we worship the Lord and as his glory is revealed to us, we get to exalt him this morning. Psalm chapter 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Let's worship our King Jesus this morning. Battle, you see my victory. 
So oh, 
we get ready to do this next song, this song's called Lord from Sorrows, Deep I Call, and it's taken from Psalms 42, and I'm going to read that text to you today as we get ready later on in the service, uh, the sermon Jeff's going to be preaching and coming and looking at why we go through suffering. And uh, in this psalm, it, uh, just looking at our hope is found in Christ. Our hope is found in the salvation that we have in Christ. So before we sing this, let's just read this together. To, you can follow along on the uh, screen with us. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your ways have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Sing, Lord, from sorrows deep. Lord, from sorrows deep I call. When my hope is shaken, torn and ruined. without answers on my faith these billows roll God be now my shelter why are you cast down my soul hoping him who saves you when the fires have all grown cold causes heart to
standing would you take a minute and talk to the Lord about what you just sang if it is if you can say it is well with your soul would you praise God and thank him for his grace that enables you to say that but if you're struggling to sing those words to say as well my soul be honest with the Lord about it. we just saw that modeled in Psalm 42 and David bears his heart before the Lord bear your heart to the Lord before him. now take a minute and let's reflect on that and pray that back to the Lord
we are thankful for the precious truths that we've been able to proclaim and worship to you in song and to remind one another as we sing these truths to you corporately together. And Lord, for so many of these precious brothers and sisters here, I know they can say in their heart today, it is well with my soul. But even as they've walked through trials and difficulties this week, because of your grace that has saved them, because of your grace that is holding them and transforming them, I know they can say, it is well with my soul. And I pray this morning, God, that that truth would resonate in their hearts and their souls, and they would know just what we sang, that you are holding them regardless of whatever circumstances that they are walking through. And I pray you would fill their hearts right now with awe and wonder and thankfulness that you have set your affection on them and they belong to you. Yeah, Lord, I know in a room of this size and with people perhaps online, there may be some who are struggling to say it as well with my soul. The cares of the world seem overpowering. I pray today, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, pursuing them and opening their eyes, that they would see today that Christ is the only way we can say it as well with our soul. That no amount of good deeds we can do or anything else that we can contribute can make that happen. It is your grace and your grace alone. I pray today you would help anchor them in that to where they can leave today saying perhaps for the first time, it is well with my soul. And Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us. You would be just and good and holy to have left us lost in our sins and to leave us under your wrath. And instead, you pursued us and you turned our hearts towards you. You set our, your affection on us and you did for us what we could never do. You redeemed us. You paid the penalty, Lord Jesus, for our sins. And you gave us your righteousness so we can now boldly approach the throne of grace this morning saying it as well and approaching you without fear of being struck down because we are not only forgiven, we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. And for that, Lord, we just want to say thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. Lord, we are thankful for this church family. We thank you for what you are doing in our midst. Lord, I am thankful for the time away with the elder team this weekend. We pray for the elders and the deacons and all the staff and small group leaders that you would give to us wisdom to shepherd well and lead well this congregation. And Lord, we pray for all of us that you'd be working in our hearts and even this week giving us that transforming grace to increase our love for you, Lord, to increase our desire for you, to increase our affections for you, that we might walk more and more with you each and every day. And Lord, even as we experience that, Lord, we are reminded there are so many around us here and globally who do not know you, who cannot say it as well with my soul. And so this week, Lord, we pray that as we interact with people at work in our neighborhoods, the strangers we meet in the community, that we would love people well and see people the way you see people. And you give us hearts of compassion for the lost around us. And with that, Lord, we're reminded around the world that we can gather right now with the windows open and without fear and proclaiming your greatness, but that's not the case for many in the world. So Lord, we pray this morning for the persecuted church in China. Lord, that you would encourage them as they gather secretly in small rooms and wherever they're meeting today to sing your praises, that you would fill them with the hope of knowing they can say it as well with their soul, regardless of what is happening around them, regardless of what it might cost them. Would you strengthen them today and would you let your church multiply? Even as the government tries to shut it down, we pray that your church would grow because we know the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So bless the Chinese church today. May it grow and strengthen and may your gospel spread in that big nation. And Lord, we pray for us this day that you would give us teachable hearts as we study your word. Lord, I'm thankful for my brother Jeff, and I'm so grateful, Lord, for his friendship, but also for his partnership in the gospel, how he shepherds people so well here as one of our elders. And we pray today as he continues us in our journey of First Peter, that God, you bless him as he teaches. You give him 
clarity in this communication, but God, for us as the congregation, you would give us teachable hearts, that your Holy Spirit would be stirring our hearts to where as we read your word, it would come alive to us. The Lord, you would speak to us and show us what you would desire us to know, that we might know you better and we might experience your grace to walk with you this week. So we pray you would take your word and you'd use it today to conform us more to the image of Christ. Lord, we thank you for the generosity of your people. Thank you for what's already been given online this week and how your people give so that the gospel may go forth here and around the world. So we just want to acknowledge that, Lord, that is yours, and we thank you that we get to give back a small portion to you. And pray you'll take what's already been given this week and use it to make yourself known. And we give you praise for all you've done and all you will continue to do. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first to fourth grade, you are dismissed to kids' worship today with Mr. Tom and Miss Jennifer. So first to fourth grade, if you'll head to those doors, and Jeff, come teach us God's word this morning. I asked Mandy if I could borrow a shirt this morning to, I think it illustrates often where our hearts are. So I'm going to hold this up. And you can, if you can't read it, distant, right? It says, it's fine, I'm fine, everything's fine. And I think so often in our lives, we want to represent that. It's fine, I'm fine, everything is fine. And for those who are close, you can see this shirt is not fine, right? Uh, and this, uh, Mandy, I think, did it for fashion's sake, but I think it actually works really well to illustrate the point, is that it's got some bleach spots in it, and um, I think this shirt has been uh, used for painting at the house and things like that. And so this shirt, in the image it's trying to present of, I'm fine, it's fine, I'm fine, everything's fine, is, is revealing that it's not and so that's what I wanted to start with us today, uh, a little bit of an honest assessment for you and me. I imagine that all of us have felt at uh, some point that if I, I, can't, I can't bring together the idea of what I'm facing today and a God who is both all-powerful and all-loving. And we live in that difficult space between where what we hold to be true about God and where we are right now. And sometimes that space is like right here. And sometimes it's, it's way out here. And sometimes they seem to be going in such opposite directions that we just struggle in that space and not being able to recognize that. So you're not fine. I'm not fine. I don't know the last time I was fine because that doesn't really exist. But there's a big difference because in between being fine and being well. And that's what we've been singing today. It is well with my soul. What a beautiful song and a reminder that what we pursue in God is we want wellness. We don't want to be just fine. So if we start there, we can think about uh, what God has in mind for us when we experience that pain. And the idea is that he is moving our souls to be well in him and not in all of the ways that we would try to be fine in this world. So our text comes from 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. Let's stand together as we hear God's word. In this you rejoice. 
though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you know our hearts. You know what they contain, that they contain both the desire to follow you no matter their circumstances and the constant pull of despair and doubt. We are in desperate need of your grace, your healing, and your provision. Most of all, we need you, Jesus. We need the truth, your word. We need the Holy Spirit to open our hearts to what your word has to say, that it may cut us to the root, to root out the sin within us, and so that we may receive your tremendous grace. Please, would you work now to bring us closer to you? Amen. So there's a lot going on in these two verses. And as I was reading this week, I was drawn to three key phrases as the key moments in this passage. The, the first one is the very beginning of verse 5. In this you rejoice. As Grady mentioned since we started this study of 1 Peter, these first several verses are all one opening to a letter. So though we have a week of distance between where we discussed last week and here, <clears throat> the original letter has one thought. So what is the this here in, the, in this you rejoice? Last week, Grady unpacked verses 3 through 5 to show us that our hope is in Christ and in his kingdom. So let's reread verses 3 through 5. This is 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation to be revealed in the last time. And we rejoice in the truth that we are born again through, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, an inheritance that is imperishable and a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter sets up the ultimate goal in order to prompt his readers to think bigger than their present circumstances. The kingdom of God has, its, has as its end our ultimate, as, as its ultimate end, there we go, our salvation and resurrection as we follow Christ into eternal life. But let's dig into why Peter pointed to this salvation for this church and why it is important for us today. Peter acknowledges that these people are facing intense suffering for their faith, and there is nothing like suffering that will make all of what we hold in our hearts come out. So in verse 6 there, it says, Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. There are no cheap substitutes for faith here. No easy believing. The prayer, right, the, the sinner's prayer that you and I prayed at some point in our lives, if that's what we're thinking about, it won't hold up in the face of suffering if it's only the thing we have that we're clinging to. We have to hope in something greater than our present circumstances or the fulfillment of our immediate desires if we want to weather this life. God is calling us to rejoice in him and in his work. Note, when we suffer, the solution is not to say, well, my suffering is not significant. I need to just get over myself. Am I said that? Right? Just, just get over yourself. Right? No. 
That worm will continue to dig in and work against your own willpower, and that doubt will continue to grow. What we all need is an answer to the suffering that gives us more. So we can't just ignore it and act like it's not there. We need to find the reason why. Trials will come and may already be here that make us ask what we were holding on to. When we ask these questions, we inevitably get to the big one. What's the point of all of this? Does this really matter in my life today, in the big scheme of life overall, this truth that I hold, this belief in the resurrection of Christ? We will start looking at the things we hold so dear, and we will quickly realize that those things are not the hope of Jesus. And here's the point where things can get really tangled, and what I think is particularly important for us as as believers to hear today. Whenever a conversation drifts to the things that we're attached to, we immediately start pulling out to-do lists and say, and start checking the boxes, right? Just, okay, do this, don't do this, and then everything's fine, right? Back to the shirt. I'll be fine. Jesus would have us consider our motives, those things that drive what we do, not just the things that we do. One challenge that I think we have and we are seeing in the world around us is that we can have all of the appearance of godliness, of doing things right, have all of the steps that we're supposed to take, and still miss the boat for the hope that we should have. I asked us to start in an honest assessment this morning, and I think it's needed in Christianity in a, big, in a big picture sense. We've had too many instances of people commit grievous sins and cover things up to the point that we say, well, how do these things happen? How do we get there? We get there because we lose our focus on Christ and start focusing on ourselves. And we can, and we can use the appearance of righteousness to hide from ourselves and from others and from the truth of God. Look at Paul, what Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, not good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Like that, that one's a tough one, right? Because we're, it's kind of, he's rolling along and we're like, yeah, right, you're right, all those people. And then he says, these people have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. Oh, hold on, that's me. I was fine, Jesus, and the Lord, and your scripture, as you were talking about everybody else and all of their issues. But if I look at my own heart, I have so many places where I have the appearance of godliness, but not its power. That statement wrecks me. And I think that's Jesus letting us, letting me and letting us kind of roll along with this thought that, I, yeah, that's right, all those people that don't have it all together, and then he just comes right back and hits, up, hits us with it. It tells us, this passage tells us that there will be a temptation to have all of the trappings of righteousness, and yet our hearts can be far from God. In other words, we won't be rejoicing in the promised kingdom of the resurrection of Christ while we have every appearance that we are. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges his hearers with this passage. It's Matthew 6, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Apart from me, you evil doers. That passage hit me like a freight train about 10 years ago. And that was 15 years into being a believer, walking with Christ, when I realized, oh, it can't be about all of the outward things. It has to be what? I never knew you. The measurement of our hope cannot be in these righteous deeds. We can't fix things from the outside in. Our motives have to be on Christ. It's really easy to sit in judgment on people when they fall, but we are all just as susceptible to this same temptation. Inasmuch as we lament others falling in the impact, we need to be asking the same questions of ourselves. Where is our hope? What are the things we cling to? What is the answer? Who enters the kingdom of heaven? Jesus reveals the answer here, knowing Christ. And when we know Christ, what is it that we know? Paul says in Philippians 3, verses 10 and 11, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to resurrection from the dead. Remember what Peter said, that we have been born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. This is the promise that we have that we are clinging to each day. And it is the thing that we must hold on to in the midst of suffering. This is eternal life, as Jesus says in John 17, that we know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. This is far different than any other motive that can drive us to do even good things. We rejoice in Christ and his resurrection, and we will find that it holds up even while everything else goes away. But that's the problem, right? We know this to be true. We want to cling to this hope, but our hearts get in the way. We feel that constant pull back to the world and the things that it promises, and we struggle. We see that goal out in the distance, and even at our best, it seems unattainable, unreachable, and we are at constant war in our hearts. But there is hope. God knows our hearts, and in his faithfulness, he is actively using the trials and the suffering that we go through to turn our hearts from their attachments to the world and put them on him. He is working to lead us to put all of our faith in him. And this is the second phrase that he carried, that carried such resonance with me this week, the tested genuineness of your faith. Let's go back to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7 and look at this statement. And he says there, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire. Gold, treasures, things that are precious, these are all items that show up frequently in Scripture as a way of evaluating where our hearts are committed. God will work to make our faith genuine, a true treasure. The term, but the term faith in our culture is so used so much that it has lost its resonance. So I think the key word for us here today is the word genuine. The imagery of gold invokes Jesus' lesson about treasures from the Sermon on the Mount. Let's go to Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy 
and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Or to ask it in a similar way. What are you rejoicing in? After the next couple of passages, Jesus goes into a larger discussion of worry where he calls us not to worry. Now, if we read these verses on our own, we might miss this connection, but together they point us to something profound. Why do we worry? We worry, and this is somebody who I've been honest with you guys, I struggle with it all the time. We worry because we have our treasure in something other than Christ. Matthew 6, 31 through 34. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The answer is to seek first his kingdom and realize that all these things will be added to us. In other words, we put our trust in God and he meets our needs to show us that we do not need to worry. This is where God wants our hearts to go. But how do we get there? I'm convinced that the move is not to white knuckle grab our lives and force ourselves into contentment. You ever tried that? Doesn't work well. But we do it, right? And the problem is, is that we have one of two outcomes when we try to do things like follow Christ in our own strength. We either fail and get on a downward spiral of never feeling like we measure up. I know this struggle. I know, and I know many of you know this struggle. I've met with several of you over the last several weeks where this is very much in that same, uh, where you're in the same boat. We go, we try another Bible study, another prayer group, another method. We go to the Christian bookstore when there were such things and seek to find something, anything that will give us the steps we need to figure out what we need to do. Each step can take us a little bit deeper to the point where we throw our hands up in the air and say, what's the deal to God? We reach that point of despair. Or perhaps worse, when we do things out of our own strength, we succeed. And then we start to feel pride in our particular method. We start to broadcast this method of success with God and tell people, I found the path to righteousness. And if you only follow these three, six, 12, or 24 steps, depending on the book, then you will be right with God. And if I figure that out, then I can go hit the speaking circuit because I've got everything figured out and you guys can all buy my book. Or we pick someone other than God or imply that you must follow this method if you want to truly serve the Lord, if you really want to be righteous. Mandy and I just crossed into our 40s, and the one thing that we grieve is the number of people that we've known closely who went to the same Bible studies, who led with us, encouraged us, talked with us, prayed with us, and cared for us, walk away from their marriages, walk away even from the faith. It's caused us to do some soul searching and a bit of survivor's guilt, I think, because we say if they fell away, what, what chance do we have? I don't know specifically in a lot of cases, but I think somewhere along the way, their joy moved from salvation and the resurrection of Christ into some measure of salvation of self. Even that salvation of self that easily gets wrapped in chapter 
and verse in the things that we do outwardly. There's a lot of help founding and learning from others as we walk together with God, but the point is not what are we doing, it's again back to the why. We can't meet this need by continually trying to do things in our own strength. We have to be completely dependent upon the Lord. And this goes all the way back to the garden. What was the first temptation? You will know what God knows. In other words, you'll be able to make the call yourself. And that temptation still exists even to today. The impurities that cloud that gold of genuine faith that Peter meets are those motives that seek to worship ourselves, not God. They are the motives that drive us to fill up those spaces where God would fill up and to be dependent ultimately on ourselves. We are people created to worship. You will either worship the true God or you will worship yourself in some version of all of the things that you surround yourself with. And so God would, ha- would purify our hearts from that temptation that we still deal with today. If you are a believer, that temptation is still here. If you are an unbeliever, that temptation is there now. And so what does God do in his faithfulness? He sends, he has us go through trials to drive our hearts away from what God, from what we want to what God wants, which is the best thing possible for us. This precious faith, as pure as gold, will be the best for us because it restores what was lost in the garden, that we would reflect God's glory as his image bearers. The pure gold of our faith will be purified from all of the sin that clouds its beauty. All of the sin that would have us put ourselves at the center rather than God. So if it's not us, what then is the outcome? What is the goal of this genuine faith? It's in our third key phrase. It's the why behind everything we see doing. We see God doing. Our hearts are inclined to self-worship. God has a different goal in mind for us and that we would be reoriented toward God worship. That's what he's after in suffering. So let's go back to 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's that last point, the last phrase that I wanted to key on. Praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the ultimate outcome for us, the thing that God would have us strive for. If we focus only on ourselves, we end up as small people with small motives rather than expanding into God's great kingdom. This is where reading C.S. Lewis has helped me tremendously in his discussion of hell. And he focuses not so much on how to define what hell is as much as the heart motives that we need to grapple with as we think about it. God's judgment, as he presents, is to leave us to our own devices. In his book on suffering, The Problem of Pain, Lewis unpacks the idea of hell and presents an outcome that blew me away the first time I read it. This distinction shows that there are no reluctant people in hell. 
Rather, that hell is God taking his hand away from us and giving us over to our desires. Lewis says it like this, the doors of hell are locked on the inside. People enjoy forever the horrible freedom they have demanded and are therefore self-enslaved. This statement resonates with Paul's Paul's statement about God's judgment in Romans 1, 24 and 25. Therefore, God gave them up to the lust lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So God's judgment is to let us run in the direction that we were already going anyway. In his great faithfulness, he sends suffering to break, a lo- break our hands off of the worldliness and self-fulfillment that we are holding on to so strongly. God allows this suffering as a movement of grace because he is working so diligently to bring us to him. We are hard-headed people, number one, constantly focused on our own desires. And while we walk with God, he is using his suffering using suffering to bring us to a place where we focus and we turn our hearts to him. God in his faithfulness will not let us go into the darkness that is reserved for those who don't believe. This is true now, even as we get the foretaste of eternal life, we will once experience. In this world, our hearts are still inclined to rebel against God. We've sang the song, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. That's why we ask God to take our heart and seal it, seal it for his courts above. And his path of doing that, his work, is to, in suffering, lead us to him. This is what Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 11 say. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respect them, respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is ultimately God's goal. The mark of genuine faith, the true believer, is that we become all that God created us to be. That is what our hearts are inclined to do when we are following Christ, to reflect his glory. Or as C.S. Lewis says in that same chapter of The Problem of Pain, to enter heaven is to become more human than you ever succeeded in being on earth. This is the great promise of the resurrection, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place where where we experience the fullness of everything he has created us for. So God is honored and we receive what is best because our hearts are inclined to worship him. It's hard for us to grasp this eternal truth that God's glory and our good are wrapped together. 
worshiping God, giving him the center of our lives is, in fact, the best thing possible for us. Why in the world, then, would I want to define life and God on my terms? Have you met me? (laughs) I'm a petty, small man, very capable of taking offense at the drop of the hat. I worry about things that I have no control over and look over things that I'm supposed to be in charge of. I'm constantly battling in my own mind, why in the world would I want a God that submits to that? I want a God that's much bigger and that the one that made the universe and the one that designed me and created me to do a certain thing. And that's what God is bringing us back to, that I would bring him glory. I want to share some song lyrics that wrecked me in a good way uh, when I first heard them several years ago. Now, these are not written by a believer, but I think they resonate with the difference between my expectations of God and who he really is. It's from Jason Isbell's song, uh, 24 Frames. You thought God was an architect. Now you know he's something like a pipe bomb ready to blow. And everything that you've built that's all for show goes up in flames in 24 frames. Now, 24 frames is the amount of frames that goes in front of a camera lens. And, and okay, how many people know what a, I'm trying to think about elementary? There we go. We have elementary, like when you used to, when film was still on, you know, film, that you, <laughs> 24 frames were the number of frames that would go by in a, in a movie in one second. So the point is that life can change in one second. And Jason Isbell, I think, is right here, but he's also wrong. God is an architect, and his means of building are much vaster than we understand. And in his faithfulness, he will blow up everything that we've built that's all for show, and in its place, build the genuine faith that will result in praise and glory and honor of him, which is the best thing possible for us, a restoration of what was lost in sin. This is where our hope lies. This is why the resurrection is so important. Real life, finding that life in Christ, comes in the shape of surrender. This is the great work even now, and we hear it as Christ taught us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And the subtext of that is, Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Your will be done, not my will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, not in heaven as it is on earth. So what is our comfort in times of affliction? It is that God is working to bring bring us to a greater knowledge and worship of him. The very thing we are created to do. And because he loves us, he will blow up everything in our lives that is taking place in our hearts for his glory, and for our good. And he is faithful to complete this goal. This is Philippians 1.6. And I am sure that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Here's how Peter, back to the text, puts it. In this you rejoice, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
the completion of all things. This is where we place our hope, and it will give us the endurance to walk forward today. This is what Paul explained to the Corinthian believers in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 18. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. And since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Amen to that. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to do more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I want to share one more quote from C.S. Lewis that uh, also has profoundly impacted me, especially in seasons of suffering. It's from his book, A Grief Observed, which he wrote after his wife died. It's a difficult read, and it's a, it is a meditation on suffering. But he makes a statement in the last chapter that gives me hope as I live in the space between where I am and where God's will seems to be. Heaven will, not, will, will solve our problems, but not, I think, by showing us the subtle reconciliations between our apparently contradictory notions. The notions will be knocked out from under our feet. We shall see that there never was a problem. We have this idea, I think, sometimes with heaven. It's like, one day when I get to heaven, I'm going to have, I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to, he's going to, I'm going to know all of the things. I'm going to know why I went through that particular suffering. I'm going to go, I'm going to see everything. I'm going to see it all laid out and I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to understand. I will finally know what God knows. Sound familiar? But the hope and the faith that I want to have is a faith that says it will solve my problems, but not, I think, by resolving all of those conflicts that I have. The notions will be knocked from under our feet, and we'll see that there never was a problem. That is the faith that God is working in our suffering. It is the kind of faith that does not obligate God to submit to us. It submits to him. And in the end, we won't need to have some reason to justify our suffering. We won't need to have an answer because Christ will be enough. We will know and we will worship. 
That's the kind of faith I want to have, and that is the kind of faith that can keep us going. It's the same faith that kept the believers in the New Testament going that Peter was encouraging, and it keeps us going even to today. Let's pray. Lord, in view of your eternal glory, all of these afflictions are light and momentary, but they don't feel so light and momentary right now. Would you work in us to give us the hope of the resurrection? Will you work to set our eyes on you? This is what we want. This is what we need, but we cannot do it without your work. Please give us the hope that comes from following you and from proclaiming your, and, and proclaiming your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all stand as we get ready to sing this last song.
today. We've got this copy and two more copies in the Resource Center. If you want one, please let me or church staff or one of the elders know we will get you one. This is a really good book for unpacking why God allows us to go through suffering. So also, uh, elders that are here, if you guys would lift up your hands, right? We're here to walk with you through this stuff, right? It's really easy to sometimes to hear it from the pulpit and go, okay, Thank you. Good to know. But how do I go through that in my day-to-day life? That is what we're here for. So please find one of us. We want to talk to you about these things. We want to walk through life with you in this way. So I want to close today with Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. For I consider that the, pre- that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Not, now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait with patience. And then finally, verses 36 through 
30, 38 and 39, for I am not, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in